You're listening to That Music Podcast with me, Bryson Tarbett. I'm the music educator and blogger behind That Music Teacher and ThatMusicTeacher.com. Join me as I dive into what it really means to be a music educator. I hope that you're able to find a nugget of inspiration each week as I share my favorite ways to create purposeful instruction through active music making. So grab a coffee, sit down, and let's get started. This episode is brought to you by a free five-day email challenge from me and Catherine Miller, all about including technology in the music classroom. Whether you have one-to-one devices or only a teacher device, we're going to share our favorite ways to incorporate technology in our classrooms in a meaningful way. To get on this free challenge, all you have to do is go to thatmusicteacher.com slash technology and sign up and we will send you the five-day challenge. Again, that's thatmusicteacher.com slash technology. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this episode of That Music Podcast. Today, I am with Catherine Miller, and we are going to be talking about technology in the music classroom. Hi, Catherine. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you today? I am doing fantastic. Um, so I'm really excited about this. We've been working on a project um, that we're going to share a little bit about, a little bit about later. Um, but I would love it for if you were to tell us a little bit about yourself. So where did you go to college, and where and what do you teach? Awesome. Um, So I started my educational career in Ohio. I'm actually from um, South Euclid, Ohio, which is a suburb of Cleveland. Um, Not too far at all. No. um, I went there and had an outstanding um, music program that I was part of. And I, uh, if you ask my mom, she would say I was always going to be a teacher. That's kind of what what I was always interested in, but it was really my teachers um, in the South Euclid Lindhurst school system who made me want to pursue pursue music. Um, so I went to Otterbein University in Westerville, Ohio, and did just that. Um, I got my bachelor's degree in music education, and then taught for four years in um, Southern Ohio. So um, it was a time where um, they did a lot of retire, rehire in Ohio. And so that was not my ideal area that I wanted to be in. Southern Ohio is very, very different than Northeastern Ohio. Um, And as I was looking for ways um, to kind of move on to some different communities and be more in a place that felt like home, I ended up in uh, the Madison, Wisconsin area and taught there for seven years. And I am currently in the Milwaukee area teaching for the school district of Waukesha. Um, in all of those places, I've taught kindergarten through fifth grade music or um, lots of different classes within that, like some self-contained um, like behavior classes or some uh, special ed uh, preschool classes. But really, my main focus has been kindergarten through fifth grade music, general music. That's awesome. I love how your your journey um, kind of took you to Wisconsin. And you're exactly right. The time that you were coming out of school was a weird time in the edu- in the educational system of Ohio. <laughs> so, um, it was weird in Wisconsin, too, because all of the Act 10 stuff was going on. So I've just been kind of through those like little educational hiccups everywhere I've gone. But I feel like um, I finally found a little bit of a home um, with people who have some like-minded philosophies. Um, so I'm really enjoying my time in Waukesha. I'm glad. Um, so other than teaching, what's something that you're passionate about, um, passionate about, or something that brings you joy? Absolutely. So I've always been really big into traveling and actually I spent, um, a few summers traveling with Blue Lake, um, fine arts camp out of Michigan and being part of their international program is kind of how I got started with that travel bug. But I do spend a lot of my extra time traveling to all different places, not only listening to different, um, types of music and learning about the cultures, but just, um, 
being, you know, involved with the people there and being part of those communities. So I rarely um, do the normal kind of vacation or hotel thing. I've been traveling a lot with people I know or to places that other people have been and kind of getting that that real authentic experience. That's awesome. I didn't realize you you traveled with Blue, with Blue Lake. I did the International Choir Ensemble um, between my junior and senior year of high school. So that's awesome. Oh, that is cool. Yeah, I traveled um, when I was in college, and then I did it one more time when I was an early educator as a counselor. That is awesome. I didn't really, I didn't know that about you. <laughs> I know another weird connection, right? <laughs> um, so you talk about it a little bit, but what led you to pursue um, music education? And had and you talked a little bit about how you ended up in your current position, but more specifically, how did you end up teaching music? Um, like I said, I think if you would talk to my mom, she would have told you from the beginning. She tells stories about me lining up toys and singing to them um, and being able to, you know, get them just in the right position. Um, but I really think um, my family members being educators, that was kind of the life that I lived. We spent many nights at school. Um, my mom was a math teacher. So we spent like end of the year erasing stuff out of textbooks and being able to like organize things for her. Um, but also I think just having fantastic educators that, um, I, they invested their time in me. They put a lot of effort into what they were teaching and made me really interested in sharing that with others. Music was kind of, you know, what I loved the most and was a hobby of mine and just made the most sense. I love that. I feel like I feel like we have very similar stories in how we started teaching. My parents were both teachers as well, and you know, teaching was is something that's been in my family for a while. And it kind of when it came down to making that choice, music just seemed like the 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 right bet for me. So I love that we have very similar stories. <laughs> and I thank God every day, like that music is what I picked because we do not have some of the same constraints, at least where I am. That sometimes the classroom teachers feel. Um, as far as being able to be creative and um, create that student engagement in our classrooms. For sure. So I feel like I already know the answer here, but I'm going to ask this question anyway. Do you think that technology has a place in the music classroom and more specifically in the elementary music classroom? Um, I would say now I can say yes, Um, but it wasn't always that way. I mean, I have not always had technology in my classroom. And in fact, when I came to my current position, which does have one-to-one devices, um, that was a little bit daunting to me. Uh, The administrator I was working for at the time was really wanting them to be incorporated as much as possible throughout students' day. And that was not a comfortable place for me. Um, So I do think that technology has a place in music education, but I also don't think it takes place of the other great things that we're doing. Um, Students need to be um, active music makers, in my opinion, and that can be with movement, it can be with singing, it can be with instruments, um, and it can also be with technology. I love that. I think it's really... um... It's a really good point because as long as it's tech, the technology is not taking this the spot of that active music making, I think that it definitely should be a part of our our, our curriculum and, and what we do in our classroom. Um, but I think what where we kind of get stuck is well, how do I take the, something where it's so broad, use technology, and how do I do that in a meaningful way that doesn't take away from the rest of the things that I'm doing in my classroom, which I think is quite the dilemma. You know, the changing point was 
for me, like we do a big technology conference in my district every year because we are one-to-one and this is something that they've invested in. Um, One year, I think it was two years ago, we had um, an Apple distinguished educator come as our keynote speaker. His name was Steve Meach. And that was like the difference for me because he said, as um, a teacher with technology, you have to kind of take that idea that you're not just the consumer of information, but also a content creator. And that to me was where my mindset changed. Like um, create creation, we do that all of the time. If that's um, how I can get technology into my classroom, I just need to figure out the tools and ways students can do that because I'm, I'm already doing that in my classroom. I, I think that's great because... I know in my own classroom, I, I'm not one-to-one, but I can see what I can do to find technology. I, I In both of my classrooms, I have a projector and um, one of the classrooms I have an interactive whiteboard. And then there's also iPads and Chromebooks that I can kind of reserve depending on what the other classrooms are using them for. Um, and my challenge is, you know, using it in a way that one is, is practical with me reserving an entire cart of Chromebooks or just, you're reserving all the iPads for uh, you know, four periods for the next month, basically <laughs> Do, yeah. kind of juggling that with the rest of the school, but also making sure that it's again, adding to my curriculum and adding to my education rather than completely replacing something, but still having that, um, that active music making mindset. Absolutely. And it's still a struggle I have every day of, you know, I want to be able to incorporate this and it does engage the students, but where's kind of that line between, um, using it with fidelity in the program and in um, the things that I think are important in music education um, for elementary students and um, all of the possibilities in the world and the things you can do with them. Because you could spend all of your time every day just creating with technology, but that's not the class that I teach. (laughs) Definitely. So uh, spinning off that a little bit. So being a Kodai Influenced Educator, how have you um, taken technology and kind of woven that into your, your scope and sequence? Um, really, I just use technology as another tool in my tool belt. So if you would think as a Kodai educator, you're trying to give your students those oral, um, visual, and kinesthetic examples of each of the concepts or ideas that you're trying to teach, technology is just another way that students can see those. So maybe right now you're using um, manipulatives that students, whether that's popsicle sticks or picture icons of beats, um, you could use technology in that place. Um, whether that's worksheets or creating four beat rhythm patterns, you know, you can use um, technology as a tool to do those same kind of things, or even creating um, music creation. You know, previous to technology, we, I did a lot of like soundscapes or like creating um, sound effects or, or musical ideas with students with classroom instruments. You could also do that with technology. um, If you have, uh, depending on what device you're working with, whether that's GarageBand or Soundtrap or whatever. So I think that um, that role is of technology, being a Kodai-inspired educator, is just having another means to do that and and make those connections for kids. I think that's a really healthy way to look at it as just kind of another modality of music creation. Um, and I think especially if you're kind of looking in the, the Kodai, you know, RL kinesthetic physical, um, or RL visual kinesthetic, yeah. then it kind of 
adding that technology aspect on there as kind of a fourth modality, I think is a good way to kind of put that into the Kodai mindset without having to completely reevaluate everything or change your curriculum. You're just, again, supplementing it or using it as another tool. Absolutely. I My curriculum that, well, is changed by the district that I've gone to, but the way that I've teach or teach students has not really changed. Um, it doesn't change like what I do, but just how I do it and to the depth um, that students can do it on their own. You know, first grade students can do a lot more um, manipulation with sound if you're using technology than they can if you're handing them a classroom instrument just from their previous experiences with music. Um, and no, no direct instruction on that, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think one thing that I um we've recently started using Canvas at my fifth and sixth grade school. And one thing that I, I really wish that we had a little bit more devices is to do is to kind of take some of the the meaningless, you know, the the quick assessments and things that we do, not not meaningless assessments, but the the time that it takes to actually compute that and to see how they're doing where if if you're able to do it digitally, you can kind of have that instant feedback and see, you know, you don't have to spend the time looking at the data and like tabulating the data, you can actually just take the data and use it to inform your instruction, which is something that I think as, as technology evolves and as it becomes more um, available in education, I think we're going to have more data available to us in a good way. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like music educators are, are great data collectors through observation, at least for myself, getting that actual like numerical data sometimes is more of a challenge because I want to be up and making music. Technology is a great way to be able to do that quickly and get back to the music making. 100%. I think so many times as music teachers, we hear the word data and we we kind of tense up because of how data has been misused in so many ways. But if you're thinking about it, the amount of times that we are informally assessing and informally gathering data in our classrooms, it's constantly. You're saying, okay, I just taught this song. They're all singing it they're singing soul me instead of soul la. All right, what do we need to do? Then you're, you're, you're constantly taking in that data and, and using it to drive your instruction. So I think technology is a great way to allow us to uh, kind of f- actually write it down. People that will see that growth um, n- numerically more than just, you know, just knowing it from being in the situation. Yeah, absolutely. And there's been very few positions I've been in across all of these different schools where an administrator um, has been a musician or understands fully. And this is a way um, using numerical data to do the to show the things that we're already seeing in our classroom every day is a good way to show them, um, you know, how that fits in with what we're doing. Yeah, I think the majority of ev admins kind of get a bad rap because they again, they a lot of them aren't musicians or don't fully understand what it means to be a music educator, but by giving them something that kind of makes sense to them, that data and being able to explain why why this growth is significant, I think that kind of calms them a little bit and lets them understand, okay, I might not know what's going on, but it's clear that they do. Right, exactly. So, what do you think music teachers can sometimes get wrong when trying to implement technology into the music classroom? Um, I think sometimes, and I kind of talked about it a little bit, is um, teachers thinking that putting technology in their classroom takes away from the music making that you're, you're doing in your classroom. Um, 
yeah, sometimes it does take time, especially if you're using something for the first time. Um, but I really think that the benefits far outweigh that couple of instances where you might need to take some time to work specifically with the technology and students can use it to be able to create music. Um, I think the other thing is, is um, just thinking that you have to solely rely on technology. You have to use it every single day to make it worthwhile in your classroom. And even with one-to-one -one devices, that's not true in my setting. I do not have students bring iPads to my classroom every single day. There are certain time periods where we're working on something that they'll need to bring it for a few um, class periods in a row, but it is not something that I uh, rely solely upon. I, I think, again, that, that's just a great way to to think about music education is, again, going back to that modality of it. You don't want to 100% be in this one realm. You want to be able to you mix it up because not only um, for on a selfish note, it's, it's, it's not the same thing all the time for us, but also for our students. And we have to remember that all of our students learn in different ways. So by kind of rotating through these different modalities of learning, Ideally, we're going to kind of grab as many kids along the way so that we're not leaving anyone behind because we didn't kind of reach them the way that they need to learn. Absolutely. I mean, some of my, um, I don't know about your classroom, maybe it's just mine. Um, some students are not always into everything that I think is super cool and super fun. Um, and I think that some of those same students do find um, technology as a way that they can express themselves because it is something that's in their everyday life. Um, I can also not tell you how many times like I had an idea for a project or something that they were going to create and the students can do things far beyond even my um, expectations where they're showing me I'm like how did you how did you do that? That's really cool or why did you do that? Um, because it's far beyond what we were uh, working on. Yeah, I used the term digital natives to describe some of my students the other day. Yeah. And it, it felt like a dagger through my heart because I'm like, wait a minute, I should be able to know how to do this. And then I really started thinking about it. And the amount of technology that are surrounding these kids all the time is crazy. And so it, it makes sense that they're going to be more comfortable in certain aspects using this technology than um, using something different sometimes. So I think it's really interesting to kind of see their take on it. And again, see, you, you give them a little, a few instructions and see where they take it. And you're like, wait a minute, go back, show me how you did that. Like, I love that kind of um, ability for us to all be learning, especially us as teachers, by having our students be actively engaged. Absolutely. And that might be another misconception, too, is something that people get wrong is that you have to be a master of technology to incorporate it. Um, if that's the case, then I am far out of my realm of um, expertise. I held on to my BlackBerry for as long as humanly possible. <laughs> and I denied Apple for a really long time um, until it became where it just made sense. Um, but I, I still found ways to incorporate and implement that technology into my classroom, even if it wasn't my um, within my comfort zone. And I think it's speaking of comfort zone, I think we need to realize that some a lot of the times our students 
are really putting themselves out there in the music classroom, especially when they get start to get to the older upper elementary and that every, you know, everyone's worried about how everyone else is thinking about them. Technology is a really, I think a low barrier for entry for some of these students to try things like comp- composing and exploring through sound that a way they might not be as comfortable with had it be not using technology. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So what are some of your favorite resources that you use in your classroom, especially those that are free? All right, so um, I am, I don't know, maybe I'm always looking for a deal. I feel like this is me in general life, but free are the resources that I use. Um, I have many, many things that I'd love to spend my own personal money on, and I would be poor and living in a box. My students would have all these really cool things. Um, So free is what I tend to go to. Also, um, because we are a one-to-one district, we do have some limitations on what students are allowed to put on their own devices. Um, They do not have the app store available to them. Um, we have kind of like a, a smaller district version of approved things that can be on their school devices. Okay. So free resources are what I use in my classroom. So if I would have to pick out some of my favorites, obviously there are some websites uh, that are completely free to students. The Chrome Music Lab, um, I would... Um, you know, do a testimonial for how much my students love it, but also how I can use that in my classroom to teach content and concepts. Um, Incredibox is another um, fantastic website. Um, And I'm sure there's many more out there that are free. Um, I also tend to use a lot of Google products, um, whether we talked about Google Forms or Google Slides, Google Docs, those are all um, very similar. So students, once they know how to use one, or maybe they've used it in a different classroom setting, they can easily take those skills. And I'm not teaching how to do something on technology anymore. I'm actually letting them use what they know in the content area. And probably, yeah, go ahead. That's a big thing right there. I, I that is especially I think a lot of schools are Google schools now, or if they're not, they're probably they're like an Outlook school. But e- each of those have their own ecosystem that again, once you learn the basic like building blocks of that, you can use that like quicker without having to reinvent the wheel every time um, to do these things with technologies once they get like a little bit under um, a little bit comfortable within that ecosystem. And I think that's a good tip um, as we talk about how people can get started is look to the classroom teachers who spend a lot more time with their students and what are the apps and things that they're using that you could just find a different purpose for um, so that you don't have to teach how do you make a copy of that or how do I add text to it? How do I add pictures? They've already done that before um, and you're just um, using those skills. Yeah, I've been wanting to use like Seesaw for specifically um, for many things, but for um, recorder videos so I could see have students submit to them playing. And this year I, I decided, okay, I'm really going to do it. And then I realized none of them know how to use Seesaw, but the fourth graders earlier in the year, they've been using Flipgrid. So I'm like, all right, well, that can do everything that I want it to do. They already know how to do it. So I might as well, instead of having them spending time and reinventing the wheel, just use Flipgrid because they already know how to use it. 
Absolutely. And that's another, that was like the other one on my um, list of like favorite free resources. Flipgrid, um, my kids go crazy for and will do any videos about anything. Um, from even this past week, I was working with third graders on note values and just wanted to do a quick assessment of their understanding and just having students create a quick video, picking out one note value and explaining that like they were the expert or maybe like a YouTuber that they might spend some of their time I'm um, watching when they're not at school, um, explain that. that to somebody else. And that was a quick, easy assessment. And then I also have those videos to show to other students for other teachable moments or choices that they have in my classroom. That's awesome. I just came up with an idea that I might have to steal. Um, part of yours is like using having my fifth and sixth graders explain something as an expert, but then using it for some of my lower my lower grades. Um, I think that'd be really cool. I'm gonna have to do that. I just literally just um, popped into my head as you were saying that. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm I'm trying right now, and I'll I have to get back to you on how it worked. Is even um, in my fifth grades, I have a Flipgrid set up where the fifth grade students can ask questions to um, the high school students who are. Coming to do band and orchestra and choir recruitment um, because I don't even know the answers to some of the questions. I was an instrumentalist only till eighth grade, and then I kind of had to pick um, just because of schedules or whatever. So my students are posting the video, and then I'm able to give a code to the high school students, and I'm hoping that they'll be able to pop on there and answer some of the questions. So now we're building this community of musicians, but also um, opening that access and um, to my students of like, I really can do this, or this does really sound fun. And it's something I want to give a try in sixth grade. That is so interesting. I, you need to let me know how that goes because I'm so interested. Um, I, I love that. Um, so I, I just have to add my two cents. So again, I love all the free stuff. Um, again, we, we, we have iPads, but it's, it's kind of like yours where if we need to get an iPad or an app out of there, one, it's a hassle. Two, we have to like justify it by so many things because there can only be so many apps on the iPads. Um, so most of the stuff that I use happens to be free and happens to be web-based, um, like the amazing Chrome Music Lab and things like that. One thing I'm personally worried about, and I'm interested to see how that goes, is as um, as Flash gets kind of is gone, yeah. <laughs> it's, getting, it's getting phased out, I'm really worried that a lot of these free um, online apps um, interactive things aren't going to be updated. They're just going to be gone forever. And I'm really upset about that. And I'm really hoping that um, we can find some developers to kind of take some of these really good things um, and just make sure they stay because there are some really great ones that are super indie and like not hu- produced by a huge thing like Google or something um, like the Google, the, the Chrome music lab, it's not going anywhere, <laughs> but like some right. of these smaller, some of these smaller ones, I am worried that um, they're not going to be updated once flash is officially gone forever everywhere. Um, they're just going to be gone. Yeah. For sure. I know I had a, I loved the Carnegie um, Hall, I think it was, who had the Young Person's Guide to the Orchestra with games yes. and things built in. And um, we worked really hard to be able to get that on our iPads for students to do it. And this year when it wasn't an option, I was like, no, what yes. are we going to do now? <laughs> Yeah. So um, I do think, yeah, and Flipgrid is another one, um, you know, that isn't going anywhere because it is um, run by Microsoft. It's also another one that they promised would be forever free. So I am all about those um, types of apps that I can use because it does take extra time to be able to find ways to meaningfully incorporate technology. And I just want to know if I'm spending the time to 
either teach the app to kids or be able to spend time to create lessons using it, that it's not going to be something that the next year is gone and I have to go back to the drawing board and do again. Exactly. I, I didn't realize that they had promised to keep it forever free. So that's awesome. Yes. So I know we've talked a lot about technology in the music classroom, and I feel like there's probably um, a bunch of people listening. They're like, wait a minute, I have maybe one device or I have barely any devices. So what advice would you have for teachers that aren't in a one-to-one device setting? I think um, there are many things that you can do with just one device, um, including the websites that we talked about. Um, But what I guess I would suggest is if you're introducing those as a whole class, um, an example I can use for my classroom is I do use the app called Staff Wars, which is not a free app. So I do not have that on individual student devices because that's not really an option for me. So I use that as a whole class to be able to teach like how the game works and to be able to show them, you know, what the idea behind it is. And we play a couple times and kind of do like a, a king of the mountain kind of thing where if you get one correct, you get to stay. But if you get it wrong, like it's the next person's turn. Um, but then I use that app on my um, teacher device in like center work. So students can have an um, the ability to be able to play it on their own without being in that whole group setting. But um, have, I know how the game works, so they don't need your um, direct instruction on what that looks like. So I guess my advice would be um, if you don't have those one-to-one is being able to show those to students, but also make some opportunities where they could have an opportunity to try it on their own, whether that be that you have a teacher device to share, or maybe the center is at the smart board using your one device you have in your classroom. That's awesome. Um, just as my own little two cents, um, Staff Wars is amazing. And I'll link all the stuff that we've talked about in the show notes today. Um, but again, the the app on the iPad does cost, I think it's like a dollar or something, but you can do it for free on your computer. So again, I've, I've oh. done exactly what you just suggested, where I had my interactive whiteboard was one of the center rotations for one of the groups, um, rather than having um, individual devices. And I don't know if this is the case in some schools, but I was in a situation prior to my current one where I didn't have devices, but classroom teachers had devices and I just made them my best friends. Like, how can I help you? And, you know, what are some things I can do? But then, you know, can we bring these, um, can the devices come to music with students and being able to make those connections between the classroom? Um, I feel like nobody that I um, went to specifically would say no when I was telling them the things I wanted to do and the ideas that I had for them. So if you're connecting with people who do have them, and maybe that is your technology department. Um, In my last school setting, I did end up getting iPads because I asked a lot of questions. You know, I let them know that there was an interest. If there were PD days, I was going to technology things. And finally, I think I kind of wore them down and got a class set of iPads for my classroom also because they knew I was interested and would use them. That's awesome. I like that. I just, I just, having talked to you, I'd really need to, I'm really excited to put more um, emphasis on using technology in my own classroom. So I've just, I'm just getting so many, so many ideas. I'm just like over here jotting down so many, so many things to do to try later. <laughs> um, I had a college professor actually at Otterbein who said like teachers are the best thieves. And so um, most of my ideas are coming from other things that I see from other teachers around and just kind of 
take that spin on it. So feel free. And I would, um, that's one of the reasons I want to reach out and do this kind of stuff to be able to give what I've learned from other people to educators in return. I love it. So what actionable steps do you suggest for someone who's trying to implement more technology in their classroom? Like what's something that they can do maybe in the next week or next couple of weeks to just start that path and to get going? Um, so I have a couple steps you could take. The first would be is to start small um, with things that you already do. So um, I just read a book by Elizabeth Gilbert. Uh, it was called Big Mat- Magic. But she said, like, whatever you want to practice or whatever you practice, you're going to improve at. So if you're just starting with a worksheet that you've used for a few years that um, really helps kids um understand the concept or for them to be able to show you that they understand the concept. Try putting that into technology, whether we talked about it's a Google form or maybe um, it's a Google slide where they're manipulating something on the screen, whether that's pictures or words to be able to do that. So just take something that you already have and just substitute in technology. Um, Because like I said, I think students from there are going to blow your mind with the things that they consider and all the other stuff that they know how to do on technology to make that even um, better for them. and show a deeper understanding of your topic. Um, I think my second step would be is, I guess it is Martin Luther King Jr. Day today. Um, so I think back to what he said of like, and and don't be mad if I misquote this, but um, he said, if you cannot do great things, um, you can do small things in a great way. So just picking one or two times during the year or one grade level to start with um, that you would be able to try it because you are going to make mistakes. And I still make mistakes like forgetting to share a document with everybody um, and having to go in there. But I feel like those are good experiences for kids to see too. How do you handle um, your own like failure or when something's not working and being able to show kids that um, you're learning too, and you're trying new things just like you're expecting them to do. Um, and I think the last thing is, it, which really helped me, is just kind of finding your tribe. Um, in my building, I am the only music educator. So when I had this challenge of um, trying to incorporate technology, I went to Twitter, I went to Instagram, I Google searched like anything I could think of to be able to find other teachers who kind of pave the the way um, and had some ideas to start with and just making those connections with people who have similar interests to you um, that might not be inside your building or in your state or, or sometimes even in your content area. That is such great advice. And I think it's super practical and actionable. And it's not, again, just try something. You're going to make mistakes, but don't let the fear of doing something wrong or not doing it perfectly stop you. Just get out there, try something and just see what happens. Absolutely. I mean, we ask the kids to do that all the time. Um, it's, it's good to model that for students, that creativity process of sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Um, music technology is definitely not something that's going to go away. So I think it's a really good conversation for us as music teachers to have. Um, so before we head out today, um, where can we find more of you online? Um, sure. I, I do find a lot of uh, my tribe or people that are interested on Instagram. Um, so my handle there is K the number eight, 
the letter T, um, and then Music Miller. Um, I use the same handle on Twitter, minus the music. So K8T Miller. And um, I try to share as much as I can with other people. So I do a little bit of writing um, online as well. So if you go to um, Facebook, if that works better for you, then I am Miss Miller's Music Room. All right. Well, I will be sure to put all of those wonderful links and all the stuff that we've talked about in today's um, episode in the show notes down below. Um, so once again, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Um, and I hope you have an amazing rest of your week, Catherine. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to That Music Podcast. You can check out the show notes at thatmusicteacher.com slash podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes as they come out every Wednesday. I'd also appreciate if you left a review as this helps new music teachers find the podcast. Thanks again for all that you do for our kids. I hope that you have an amazing week.